We are going to be in Luke, resuming our study back in Luke. Luke chapter 4 will be in uh, verses 14 through 30. And um, Lisa Jones is going to read for us. So Lisa, come on up. I'll turn the mic on. And she is going to read. So would you guys please stand as we listen to God's word for God's people. Good morning. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was with his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, we do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, and so that they could throw him down to the cliff. But passing through their mist, he went away. <laughs> nice. That's right. Clapping for mama. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for giving us your written word. This is, this is how you speak to us primarily is through your word. Lord, we are so thankful for it because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It gives us mission, vision, and purpose. But most importantly, it gets us to you. It shows us how we were uh, separated from you because of our sin. But because of your gracious love and mercy, you sent your son Jesus to save us. To live the perfect life in our place, to die on the cross for our sin. You were buried and three days later you rose again to show that you truly were the Messiah. And Lord, for those of us that repent of our sins and trust in you, we know that you are doing a good work in us and you will bring it to completion. And so Lord, I know that there are many of us that are are on green pastures, but there are also some of us in here that are struggling in life. And so I pray that you would give faith to those who are doubting this morning, that you would give hope to those who are in despair, to give encouragement to those who are downcast, and to give joy to those who are dejected. 
There's no mountain to climb, no hoops to jump through, just an invitation to be accepted. And that invitation comes through your son, Jesus Christ, and his life, death, and resurrection. And for those of us that have, Lord, I just pray that we would have ears to hear what you would have for us in this familiar passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. Well, as you guys know, I am a creature of habit, and there is a verse that I quote almost on a daily basis. It uh, comes from Psalm 118.24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I do it for a number of reasons. One, it's this day. It's the here and now. This day we are to rejoice. And it just tunes my heart to gratitude, to thankfulness for what the Lord has done in my life, what He has given me in my life. It, it helps me focus on the Lord. That's, that's the main reason. And there's other, several other reasons, but this morning, I want us to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And the greatest reason why is because today, we get to experience Luke chapter 4, verse 18. We firsthand get to experience and celebrate, again, two more baptisms. Two more baptisms. Little Evie and Kirsten. They were oppressed. They were captive by their sin, but they have been set free by Jesus, and we get, to, we get to celebrate with them this morning. That's why it's a great day. That's why we're rejoicing, and many of us have also had that day happen in our lives where we were blind, but now we see. We were dead, and now we are once alive. Well, again, we get to experience Luke chapter 4 in live and living color this morning. And again, this is what we've been studying in the book of Luke. Uh, Jesus has come on the scene. He has stepped out of the shadows and he is on the front lines now. He is beginning his earthly ministry. And that's why baptism and salvation is possible is because Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has stepped out of heaven into earth and has been our substitute. He walked in our stead. He is the high priest that can sympathize with us because he's walked earth just like we have. He's been challenged and tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And so we see that he's now on the scene, and we saw that he was his inauguration of his ministry happening. He's bringing heaven to earth, and, then, and that through his baptism, that the, the God the Father confirmed that this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then we see that Jesus' first act as the, the, the new king, his first act was to wage war against Satan. He was led out by the Spirit of God to defeat his enemy, the devil. He was led out to the desert to defeat the devil. The strong man has been bound by Jesus. And now he, he's continuing to build his kingdom. And he builds his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. And that's what we are seeing today. Another way we could say it is this. Last week we looked at Jesus, our king's coronation. And now we are seeing and experiencing our king's conquest. He is building his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. He has overcome sin, death, and Satan. And now he is bringing and rescuing those that were once far off, and now they have been found. They have been rescued. And so let's dive in so we can really get to the baptisms. This is a big day for baptisms. But first, 
Luke chapter 4, 14 through 15, we see the transition of our conquering king's ministry. The transition of our conquering king's ministry, verses 14 and 15. This is a quick transition, and it's important. Look at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And again, this is a transition in Luke's account between the temptation of Jesus and him preaching at his hometown in Nazareth. The reason why this is a transition or summary statement uh, that Luke puts is here is very important. He's, Luke is setting up for us the rest of the book of Luke, theologically. See, chronologically, this is not how the story happened. What we're about to read right now happened about a year into Jesus' ministry, not at the very beginning where Luke puts it. Matthew and Mark put it where chronologically it should go, but Luke puts it here for a very specific purpose. Again, not for a chronological reason, but for a theological reason. He's saying that Luke 19 says that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And why Luke puts this story here is because after he's been, again, confirmed by the Father, after he's defeated the devil, now he's going, and this is going to show us the message of the kingdom, what he uses to conquer sin, death, and hell. So it's an important transitionary statement. Jesus has been ministering in other places, but Luke puts this here because his fame and the report of him is spreading as Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit, directing his earthly ministry. We know that, that he's been ministering because Luke 4.23 says this, that the people ask Jesus to do what they have heard him to do, what he's already done in Capernaum. And so again, Luke puts it here for a theological reason, to set the theological, to set the tone of the rest of the book of Luke regarding Jesus' ministry. Now, he's in Galilee. Where is Galilee? We know Galilee is northern Israel. Uh, the one main waypoint is the Sea of Galilee. And it's not really a sea. Sea in the, in the Greek there just means a big body of water. It's like a big, huge lake, like our Great Lakes. It's up in the north. And the people of Galilee, as we see here in this uh, section of Scripture, are fiery. Uh, they are known for their intense personality. They are known for their, their ability to work hard. Uh, they are blue-collar workers. They are no-nonsense kind of people. When you think of people from Galilee, you think Apostle Peter, James, and John. That's where their fishing business was, up around Galilee. And we know those, those guys, those guys were fiery. James and John were calling thunder, you know, lightning and thunder down from fire from, from heaven to, to, to consume some people. We know Peter, he was, always, he was always running his mouth and had an opinion. They also had a different accent. You, you could tell someone was from the north by the way they talked. So it's kind of like the people from Galilee are kind of like people from Wyoming meets the people from the south, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And that's what it is. If you want to know what they sound like, find John Mark around here somewhere. He's from Mississippi. He'll give you a good taste of what the people of Galilee are like, right? But this is the setting. This is the setting in which this story takes place. And it's a transition setting. Again, Luke is pointing this out and putting this story here because he's setting the theological tone of Jesus' ministry. He has come to seek and save the lost. And the primary way he does that is through the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. So that leads us to point two. This is where we'll spend most of our time today. We see the message of our conquering king. 
the message of our conquering king, Luke 4, 16 through 20. Look at verse 16. And it says, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogues on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And I love this. I love Luke. Remember, Luke is giving us this, this detail of the orderly account of Jesus' life so that his buddy Theophilus may know that what, they, what he knows about Jesus he may, can be sure of. And here Jesus, I mean, here Luke gives us this great little, little message about Nazareth, these great little details about Nazareth. Jesus goes back to his hometown. How many of you guys in here that Fort Collins is not your hometown? Raise your hand. It's not my hometown either. How many of you guys liked and loved to go back to your hometown and see the boys, see the fellas, see the ladies? Right? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right? Yeah, this is what Jesus did. He gets to go back to his hometown. He gets to, he gets to see the boys that he grew up with, you know, the, guy, the guys he used to play, the parents that used to make those great matzo balls and stuff for him while he was there, right? He gets to enjoy that. He gets to go back to his hometown. But remember, this was not where he was born, right? Where was he born? Bethlehem, down south. But his father Joseph and Mary, they moved up to start the comparative business up in the North End Gallery. It's a small, insignificant town, probably about three to 400 people. And notice what day is it? What day is it, does Luke point out? It's Saturday. What is Saturday? Saturday back then in the Jewish calendar was the Sabbath. It was the day that the people gathered in the synagogue. The people of God gathered in the synagogue. And where do you find Jesus on Saturday? You don't find him in front of a TV watching college game day, right? You don't find him out on the golf course. Where do you find Jesus? You find Jesus in the synagogue, worshiping with God's people. How? As was his custom. What does that mean? It means that was his rhythm. That's what was of first importance for Jesus. That on the day the people of God gathered, Saturday, is, that's where he needed to be. Of first priority. As was his custom. Jesus was consistently, regularly going to be with the people of God every single Saturday. It began when he was a little boy. It went throughout his teenage years. He was consistent. It went throughout his college years. It went throughout his adulthood. Because now we know he's about 30, 31 years old right now, and he's been consistent going to the synagogue. Now, after the resurrection, we know that the, the, the day of God's people gathering changed from Saturday to Sunday, because that's the day the Lord rose. We don't call it the Sabbath anymore. We call it the Lord's Day. And it went from the synagogue to the church. And what is Luke doing? He puts this detail in because it's very important for us. That if we want to follow in the Lord's footsteps, that every Sunday our first importance, as is should be our custom, just like it was Jesus' custom, is to come and gather with God's people. Because Jesus knew that this is where God's Word is proclaimed. This is where we get encouraged and, and loved on and challenged by the one another's of Scripture. This is where we get to, to lift up our voices together with one voice and call and sing to Jesus as our King of kings and Lord of lords. This is where we get rejuvenated before we go out to a world that can eat us up. We need one another. Jesus understood this. So this is where we found Jesus in church every week, and that's where we need to find us. I gave you a stat a couple weeks ago that the average attendance for people in church was 1.7 Sundays a month, less than 50%. Now this crew, you guys are much better than that, and I'm thankful for that because you guys understand the importance of this. And so I'm just encouraging you 
I'm encouraging. Now, there's some of you in here that might, that might need to be a little bit more consistent. But again, we do this not out of duty, but out of delight. Because this is where Christ is. He's in the midst of his church, Revelation tells us. This is where we hear God's word proclaimed. Acts 2.42, Hebrews 10.24 calls us to meet together regularly and not to neglect it. So again, we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and we want to worship with God's people every Sunday. Now, back to Nazareth. Look at verse 17. It says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he's, again, he's going to the synagogue. He's, even though he's his hometown, this is his hometown synagogue where he grew up. He's a guest preacher because he's been out on the town a little bit. And so he gets the come up. The rabbi gives him the, the scroll. He unrolls the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. There's no chapters and verse. Where was it written? He, he gets this scroll. Again, no chapter and verse. He un unrolls it, and he finds Isaiah 61. He picks Isaiah 61 to preach to his hometown. Isaiah 61 and also 58. It's intentional. Now, the one thing we need to notice here about the detail, again, he unrolled the scroll. The scroll of Isaiah would be massive, but Jesus knew his Bible. Again, no chapters, no verses, but he knew his Bible. He knew exactly where he wanted to go and preach Isaiah 61. And basically what Luke, again, is pointing out, again, this is a, a theological and practical point that Luke, again, puts this story here for us. Because he's pointing out the, the primary method of Jesus' ministry. The primary method in which Jesus got his message out wasn't on a healing tour, wasn't on a, a musical tour, it was a proclamation tour. Wherever Jesus started, foundationally, he proclaimed the gospel. He preached God's word. That's what was foundational to Jesus' practical ministry. He was a proclaimer of the good news. This is the model that Jesus set forth of his church, and this is why we follow that model. This is why the preaching of God's word is primary in the worship gathering. It takes up the most time. Because this is what was central to Jesus, and it's what's central to us. So, you know, today we worship Jesus as our God, Lord, and Savior, and rightly so. But we need to remember that when Jesus was walking this earth, he was a spirit empowered preacher. He was a spirit empowered preacher. He preached the word of God, that was primary to him. And again, this is the, one of the main reasons why we gather consistently here at the crossing, is to hear God's Word preached. God anointed Jesus and His humanity by the Holy Spirit, we'll see that in a second, to proclaim God's Word, and God does the same now today. He gifts and calls men of God to preach the Word of God to the people of God. And this is where you come to hear God's Word preached. This is how Jesus did it, and so this is how and the model we're going to follow. Now, this again, this is Jesus. Luke is saying, hey, here's his first message to the people of Nazareth. Luke is highlighting this message. Why this is so important. What does the Holy Spirit lead Jesus to preach on? What's his first message going to be? Is it going to be some more moral command? Is it going to be like, hey, you need to, he's going to challenge you to do something great for Jesus? No. The first message that 
that Jesus preaches to his hometown people, to you and to me, is the gospel. It's, it's, the, it's the message of grace. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the message that will conquer our greatest enemy, sin. It's the message that will set us free from Satan to a life of liberty, to a life of love, to a life of freedom, the abundant life. It's a message of grace. It's not a moral command. It's not a challenge to go do something great for Jesus. It's the gospel. Look at verse 17. Again, Jesus chose Isaiah 61. He, specifically by the power of the Spirit, chose this passage, this message of grace for you and for me. In verse 17, and he stood up. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's empowered by the Spirit because he has anointed me. Again, the Holy Spirit has anointed Jesus, set him apart, concentrated in his humanity to, to be a proclaimer of truth. And again, to me, to proclaim the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are opposed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, it's a proclamation ministry primarily. This is why Jesus picks this. And the message that he is proclaiming is the gospel of grace that we all need so desperately. Now, again, at the point of this is, 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 is Luke is showing us kind of the natural flow of a, of a gathering back in the synagogue of that day. Typically, there would be some scripture read, there'd be some psalms sung, and then they would read the passage, and then the, the, the teacher would sit down and then expound. And this is what we see in verse 20. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. That's how the teachers taught back then. You remember Nehemiah, the teachers sit down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. They were staring at Jesus. There was a laser focus. You could hear a pin drop. What was he going to say? You could, you could feel the anticipation when they're waiting for Jesus to speak. What's our hometown boy going to say? The carpenter that built that table and that chair. What's he going to say to us this morning? And if Jesus was using a mic like we're using a mic, this would be where he would say this in verse 21. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and he dropped the mic. This is Jesus' mic drop moment. Today, in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. And they knew, they were well-versed in the Bible. They knew that Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58 were about the Messiah. It was a messianic term. They knew that the Messiah was coming, and this was speaking about him. The Messiah would free his people from oppression. And Jesus says, today, today, that has been fulfilled. This would have been earth-shattering to his hearers, to his hometown crowd. They know, again, these scriptures are about the Messiah, and Jesus just said, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that Isaiah wrote about. I am the Messiah. I am here. This is a massive claim. In fact, in the history of Judaism, no one has ever made that claim before until this day, where Jesus says, I'm that guy. Today it's fulfilled. Incredible. What is he fulfilling? That he is the Messiah 
who's come to set his people free. Now quickly, again, he quotes Isaiah, and Isaiah lists four types of people that he highlights that need salvation. Uh, the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And really, these are just four categories of saying the same thing. It's sinners who need a Savior. And all of us are in these categories. Some of the categories define our lives more than others, but this is the human condition. All humanity is poor, captive, and blind, and oppressed outside of Christ. And so quickly, let me just highlight this. Most scholars believe, and I believe, that these primarily are talking about spiritual um, conditions, but they can also be f- uh, physical. It's, it's kind of both and, but primarily spiritual. Look at Isaiah 61, again here quoted in the first, to proclaim, again, to, to herald, to speak the gospel to the poor, uh, to those that are economically struggling, the marginalized, those on the outside. Jesus is going to them directly. He doesn't just go to the rich people. He just doesn't go to the kings. He doesn't go to the, the princes and the princesses or the who's who. He goes to the marginalized. He goes to the poor because the message of the gospel is for all people. It doesn't matter what your economic background is. Now, spiritually speaking, again, apart from Christ, the poor, the middle class, the rich, are all spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. This, this is where in the Beatitudes, um, it says that we are poor in spirit. We are spiritually bankrupt until God deposits the gift of grace in our hearts. Until He regenerates our hard hearts and gives us hearts of flesh that we hear the Word of God, we receive it through repentance and faith, and then we go from the poor house to the, to the house on the hill, to the everlasting kingdom, to a mansion that has been laid up for you and me. So he proclaims the good news to the poor. Second, he proclaims liberty or think release to the captives. This is spiritual condition. If the poor was economically, this is spiritual condition. This idea of, of being captive, it means that we're slaves. We're imprisoned by sin, our sin, and by Satan. Ephesians 2 says that we are nature children of wrath. We, we, apart from Christ, we're slave to our lusts. First John says those lusts are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You guys can fill in the blanks. You guys know where your hearts were captive before Christ. But then when you receive Christ, when you receive the gospel, you are set free from those things. Those things no longer dominate you. You have new desires. You have a new life. You have a new message to live for. So to proclaim liberty, release to the captives. Again, freeing your spiritual condition. Think Romans chapter 6. You were once a slave to righteousness, now you're a slave to righteousness. You were a slave to unrighteousness, now you're a slave to righteousness. Third, recovering the sight to the blind. Now this is a big one because in the Old Testament, one of the one way, main ways you're going to be able to acknowledge who the Messiah was, is the Messiah was going to heal the blind. This was one of the, the miracles that would set Jesus, the Messiah, apart from any other prophet, as he was allowed and he would heal blind. You can read about this in Isaiah 35 and 42. You guys remember John the Baptist? Again, John the Baptist is in prison, has this moment of like, man, is Jesus really the Messiah? And he asked that question to Jesus, and Jesus comes back and says what? The blind receive their sight. 
And what he's saying is, I'm the one that fulfilled the prophecies in Isaiah. I am the Messiah because the blind receive their sight. Now, this can happen physically, but also spiritually. We are all, apart from Christ, are spiritually blinded. We can't see. And maybe this one, maybe more than any of them that we can all resonate with this morning. I mean, think about your life before Jesus. Did you understand this book? I sure as heck didn't. I would read it, and it was like Greek to me, you know? It's like, I didn't understand who Jesus was. I didn't understand what the Trinity is. I didn't understand what He required of me. I just thought, man, Jesus is a good moral teacher. He's a good dude with some good sayings. And then if I follow Him, I'll, I'll be all right. If I do good, right? That was a book of morals. But when God saved me, all of a sudden, this Scripture became alive. I understood who Jesus was. I understood what He required of me. I understood how great a salvation He has been given to me. And it wasn't by my own effort. It was by Him. It was by grace through faith in Christ. The blind receive their sight with this physical recovery. And then fourth, we say He sets at liberty. Again, releases those who are oppressed. This is a, those that are, are struggling social or social status. Those that have been abused emotionally that have been abused physically, that have been abused spiritually. They've been oppressed by someone or something in their life apart from Christ. And they couldn't get away until Christ broke in. We're going to see throughout Luke, we're going to see those that were oppressed with sickness, they are healed. Those that are oppressed with demons, they were delivered. Those that are oppressed with injustices received justice. Those that are oppressed by drugs and alcohol were released and now are sober. Think about that in your own life. Where has God released the oppressors in your life? Again, we talked about this. I once was, I no longer am a couple weeks ago. I once was lost, but now I'm free. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was sick, but now I am healed. I once was blind, but now I see. These are the four kind of categories that Jesus points out and highlights that need salvation, that need to be rescued. This was you. This was me. But by God's grace, we have been freed. He ends in verse 19 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now this is tied directly to Leviticus 29, the year of Jubilee, which was an incredible year. I mean, you would look forward to this year if you were Jewish back then. Every 50 years, this would come around. And this is the year where all debts were forgiven. You could owe someone a million dollars. And on the year of Jubilee, that person you owed would forgive you. And you wouldn't have to pay it. That's incredible. That would cause some rejoicing in you, would it not? It was when all the servants were released, were forgiven, were set free. They, they were released from their obligations. They no longer had to, to work for their life, their release. They were forgiven. And the other thing interesting here is in Isaiah 61, verse 2, which is quoted, Luke doesn't quote the second half of the verse. The second half of the verse says, he says not only has he come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the second half, to proclaim the Lord's judgment. 
Luke omits that for this reason, I think. Because right now, this time, this day, we're living in the time of grace. Judgment's coming, but He's given every one of us time to repent of our sins and embrace the grace of God freely before judgment comes. He's calling you and me to proclaim the Lord's favor, to receive the gospel, to receive God's word, to receive God's grace. This is what Jesus is saying is He's fulfilling. This is what Jesus is fulfilling. Today, here and now, the Scriptures have been fulfilled. The Gospel, Jesus' message of saving grace, we see here is comprehensive. It's extensive. It's for rich. It's for poor. doesn't matter what country you're from. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. It's for the young. It's for the old. It's for the blue-collar worker. It's for the white-collar worker. It's for everyone. It addresses the entire human condition. He's the king who saves the poor, who frees the captives, who heals the blind, and releases the oppressed. He did it back then, and he's still doing it today. And he does it through you and through me. He does it through his church, being great ambassadors proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Quickly, I want us to focus on this little profound word, today. Today. Today, Jesus says it was fulfilled in Him. When He said, He meant literally like here and now, today, but it also again covers the era until He comes back today. So it's today for us as well. Today, Jesus is saying to you, is a day of release from oppression. It's a day where you can be free. And it's found in Christ. In other words, you don't repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus someday, a day down the road, you do it today. You don't commit yourself to regularly gathering with the people of God on Sundays someday. You make that commitment today. You don't hold back proclaiming the gospel of grace to those in your circles of influence who are poor, captive, blind, and oppressed someday. You do that today. Who are those people in your life today that need to hear the message of the gospel? That God has put you in their life specifically, not for someday down the road, but to today. You don't commit to extending grace and forgiveness to brothers and sisters in Christ, to your family members, to your friends, to your schoolmates, someday. You do it today. You don't confess the deep, dark secrets of your heart, and you don't in your mind, and you don't do that someday. You do it today. You walk in the light today. That's the invitation that Jesus has given you and me. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a day of salvation and release from poverty, from captivity, from blindness, and from oppression. It's found in King Jesus. That takes us to our third point, and we'll rip through this. We see the response of our conquering king. Luke 4, 22-30. The response starts out with grace, but it ends with his hometown wanting to put Jesus into the grave. Look at verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words. It started out good. It started with grace. 
that were coming from his mouth, but then simply they turned and they said, is this not Joseph's son? Again. They're like, how, how is Jesus the Messiah? We, we saw this, this little kid grow up as a toddler to a teenager. We saw him playing with, you know, my other little son. They had a little stick figure of Moses and a stick figure of David, and they went to war and battle. And this is the carpenter that built, you know, again, our table and our chairs that we eat on. This is the Messiah? It'd be like, you know, we know Matt Whitney in here. He's a guest preacher. We bring up Matt Whitney, and Matt Whitney would say, like, today we're going to read from Isaiah 61. And where Matt Whitney would say, like, and I am he. I am the Messiah. We would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're Matt Whitney. You can barely get anywhere on time. How are you going <laughs> to? So, that's all right. I told Matt I was going to do that to him today, so it's good. Right? How all of a sudden you're on time here? It would have been unheard of. It would have been mind-blowing. And Jesus anticipates their response. Verse 23, and he says to me, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What, what, what you have heard in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus would say, Truly I say to you that a prophet is, acceptable, is not acceptable in his hometown. Basically, what they, they lacked faith. They lacked faith in the, the proclamation of the gospel and who Jesus claimed to be. They lacked faith in Jesus as prophet, as not the Messiah. They didn't believe him. They're like, Jesus, we know you. You're a good person. You're a good moral teacher. Um, but if you're the Messiah, we need to see more. We need to see you come and do the miracles and the healings like you did in Capernaum. We need, we need to see more. Not enough evidence, Jesus. We need to see more. You guys ever hear that from your friends, your family members that don't believe in Jesus? Ah, there's not enough evidence about Jesus. Well, Jesus says that's not how it works. First, you must believe in who I am before you typically get the blessing of God. You must step out in faith, and then the Lord will bless you. The people here, they lacked faith. And because they lacked faith, because they rejected Jesus and His words, He says, I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm going to take the message elsewhere. And he gives us two illustrations of what that looks like and what really Jesus is doing. This is a massive slap in the face. We're going to understand why they're so indignant at Jesus, why they're so angry, why they want to throw him off the cliff. Because he's saying the good news of the kingdom, the Messiah, me, I am overstepping the people of God and going out to the marginalized. I'm going out to the Gentiles. He highlights in his two um, illustrations with Elijah and Elijah, he highlights Gentiles, he highlights women, and he highlights lepers. In Jewish culture back then, those were the three lowest people on the totem pole. They were seen as dogs. They were seen as insignificant. In fact, there was a thought going around that, that in hell, the wood that used to keep the fires hot would be burning of the Gentiles, the women, and the lepers. And Jesus says, because you've rejected me, I'm taking the good news to them. And he uses them as examples of faith who believe the prophets. That's what these two stories are about Elijah and Elijah. You can read about the story about Elijah not going to the nation of Israel to save during this famine because of their lack of faith, but instead he goes to this Gentile widowed woman in 1 Kings 17, 1 through 16. And, and, and she had to receive Elijah and his words 
The, the story quickly, the story is she had a little bit of oil uh, to make some, some bread and some flour. And there was a famine in the land. She's like, man, I got, I got, I got enough oil and I got enough uh, flour for make one more loaf of bread and then we're done. We're toast. We're going to die. And Elijah says, no, 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 no. Make that for me and, and the Lord will provide more for you. She first had to believe the words of the prophet before she received the blessing. She did that. The scripture goes on to say that she received more and more. She got to live off of that little bit of bread and oil. The same with Elijah, the, uh, Elijah's protege, Elisha. Again, he didn't go to the people of Israel and hear all the lepers in Israel, but to really the enemy, the general of the army against Israel, Nahum. He had leprosy. He wanted to be healed. Elijah went to him. Elisha went to him and said, hey, this is what you got to do. If you believe me, you got to go jump in this lake seven times. When you come out, you'll be healed. He believed the words of the prophet, went and did that, and then he was healed. Again, this is the example that Jesus uses about the people of God rejecting the prophet of God. And they get fired up. Look at verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town to a cliff so they could throw him down. Here we see the synagogue of worship became a synagogue of wrath. Because when the people of God were caught out for their sin, they didn't like it. Augustine said this, People love the truth when it enlightens them. And they hate the truth when it accuses them. Don't we feel the same way? We can, we can see that experience today, even in the church. I don't know how many times during counseling session, and whatever it may be, take a husband and wife, we see these two come in. Clearly their sin is on display. We give them God's Word, and they're like, nope. Nope. In other ways, screw you. We'll just go to the other church down the road. See, it happened all the time. Not only back then, but also today. When God's Word is shown, it pierces the heart, it convicts, the response, again, is not anger. It's humility. Let's be thankful. Verse 30, Jesus pulls a Houdini and escapes. Was a Houdini escapes. I don't know how he did it. He just did it. Again, this is, this is Luke setting the tone for the rest of the book. We're going to see how the conquering king builds his kingdom through the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of grace. Jesus came to seek and save that is lost. He came to set free the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. And he's doing that today through you and through me. He's doing that today through the church, being empowered by his spirit to go out and proclaim the good news, the gospel, to proclaim the great news of God's grace. And so today, hear this, today, when you walk out those doors, know this, that you are a good news people in a bad news world. Know that. 
We got a world out there that's a bunch of bad news, right? A bunch of bad things happening. But you, because of the gospel of grace, because of the Holy Spirit that indwells you, because you have the message of the gospel, you are good news people in a bad news world. And God has called you and me to go and share that good news in our circles of influence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. This is is a word that was written 2,000 years ago, and man, it is so relevant to us this morning. And we are so thankful for that. And now, Lord, we get to experience the realities of Luke chapter 4 here and now. Many of us in this room have already experienced being set free from the oppression that we have felt. And Lord, I just first pray, if there's anyone in here that is convicted by their sin, that feels that they are under the oppression, they haven't bent the knee to King Jesus to come see me, some of the pastors, who they came with, so that we can, again, come around them and, and, and share the good news of the, Jesus, of the gospel with them to answer their questions. But right now, let's, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate your good news the gospel of grace, setting individuals free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.